Recorded live. Good morning, everyone. Oh, happy Saturday. Nice to connect with everybody. Uh, you know what? Give me one second. I lit an instant stick, and that was a mistake. <laughs> so I'm going to part that out. Talk amongst yourselves, please. Okay, that was taken care of. <laughs> All right, so let's do a little roll here. Jennifer O'Brien in the house. Here. Thank you. And Soki. Right here, right now. Hey, Soki. <laughs> Soki, I really liked your birthday song. <laughs> you left on my Facebook page. It was so really funny. Soki, Soki left me this beautiful birthday song, and then the very last part, she goes into happy birthday, and then the last part, she goes, and many more, and then she goes, you're such a whore. I was like, oh, okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, Martha. Here. Hi, Martha. How are you, Mama? <laughs> Fine thing. Good. Vanessa? Vanessa, going once, going twice. She might be on mute. Uh, check that. Okay, we'll wait for Vanessa. And, oh, hey, Vanessa. Great. And Brandon? Here. Great. And Mark? Here. Great. Oh, Zach. Is Zach on the line today? Yeah, I think he's been really having a challenging time finding Wi-Fi. He's been mm-hmm. all these weird, well, not would say weird places, but very exotic places and uh, uh, like trapped on the sea and <laughs> not able to reach civilization like they had to have the Coast Guard come and help with their engines and uh mm-hmm. I don't know if Jack has been uh traveling Asia with his father on a boat. Uh and it's coming to an end. It's uh he's he's uh gonna be going back home to Perth, Australia. But um I'm just gonna send him a really quick uh, message to make sure that it's not just a time lapse thing here. Uh, and um, why don't we have uh, oh. why don't we have Brandon um, start us off with um, an opening prayer with the God's prayer. Good morning, everyone. 
take a moment to breathe in the power of God's peace. Breathe it out so we may impart it on all the world. Thank you so much, Divine Creator, God, Holy Spirit. We call to any of the names that hold us at our highest, even if it's the highest self in us, the love, the universe. We're so grateful to be able to gather here today to remember who we are and joining together to speak of these truths that we might forget on a day-to-day basis. We offer up any fears of saying too much or not saying the right thing or not knowing the answer. And we just want to remember that anytime we speak with honesty and vulnerability in this space, that we multiply the idea of courage and humility. And with that, we are able to grow once more. I want to declare that we are perfect, whole humans that have a divine path and a divine message. I'm so grateful that I'm able to share this journey with everyone today. Thank you. And so it is. Beautiful. Now, let's just sit in that yumminess that Brandon laid down for us and close our eyes. Wherever you are, just relax. Let's all together take a deep breath in and then exhale and relax. Just resting in the space, observing our breath. Inhale, feel the air flowing through our nasal passages, filling our lungs, Hold it in. Exhale out. And inhale. And exhale. With each exhale, we just relax a little more. We relax our shoulders. And we relax our jaw the skin around our ears and our eyes also relaxed, our hands, our feet, our belly. Together we're going to take two minutes we're going to do a two-minute meditation, and I'm going to offer you a mantra. Mantra literally means mind vehicle, mind vehicle. So a mantra takes you into, I don't even know what, so many different words for it, but we'll just say into a space of receptivity, <laughs> So we're going to take our mind vehicle to a space of receptivity. And today, our mantra will be, be still and know I am God. Be 
still and know I am God. And so what we do is we just gently allow ourselves to repeat that phrase, be still and know I am God. And we allow our attention to lightly fall on it. So we don't have to chastise ourselves or get angry if we think of something else. But when we become conscious or aware that we are thinking of something else, we just gently take our attention back to our phrase, our mantra, our mind vehicle, be still and know I am God. All right, let's begin. I will set a gentle alarm for two minutes. Be still and know I am God. Begin. And gently we bring our awareness back and wiggle our toes and our fingers. And let's all take a deep breath in and stretch our hands above our head. And on an exhale, think of something you're grateful for. Mm. Okay, so um, I had a, a realization <laughs> that... Um, an interesting realization to have that uh, this Sunday <clears throat> I was going to have to dust off my old uh, uh, insane group murder sermon, uh, mass killing sermon, 
that uh, I've had to give a couple times since Inspire, I mean, many times actually since Inspire has been um, going on. And uh, I'd like to actually begin our group today by talking about the um, what happened in Charleston and how we as practitioners get to work with that. Uh, and we also get to explore what's really going on there because it's easy, easy, easy to demonize and, you know, um, point the finger of guilt um, and create, you know, who is right and who is wrong, who is good, who is bad. Because, and that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty easy to do that. But <clears throat> let's just, for the next half hour or so, put on our spiritual practitioner hats and our spiritual practitioner lenses and the glasses uh, and talk about some of the spiritual principles we discussed and if we are going to begin to uh, develop a belief that these things are true, then um, what's really happening here? (laughs) If love is all there is, then what's happening here? The one of the most powerful teachings um, that I heard about something like this was from Jennifer. And it happened during that uh, shooting in Colorado at the movie theater uh, during the Batman movie where the guy came in and opened fire. (laughs) And um, she said, this is an invitation for all of us to consider mastering our ability to listen to our loving intuition. And what she meant by that was that no one is born to commit crimes like this. No one is born to murder. This is something that he learned or taught himself or developed a belief system around something, you know. And she said, what do you think that uh, there could have been a different outcome or this young man could have a different experience in life if he was shown more kindness and love in his life. And then she said, she invited us to think of all the time that we have an intuitive nudge to say something kind or nice, complimentary to someone, perhaps even someone we don't know, but we don't say it because we think, well, I'll just seem weird or I don't want them to get full of themselves or everybody always tells them that or whatever it is. 
whatever that block is that comes up to prevent that prevents us from expressing that thought of generosity and kindness. Um, and she said those intuitive um, nudges to express love, to share kindness, to share um, compliments, to uh, even perform a simple act of generosity, like holding the door open, um, that that is, since we are all one, one mind, it could be that person's consciousness inviting us to express something. But we don't want to look strange. If you think about it, almost all of our fears in life, excluding like snakes or spiders or whatever, all of our fears in life really are more about what will other people think if I do this. And that is what prevents us from doing so much in our life. What will other people think if I do this? And so it's really time as practitioners that we begin to teach the efficacy of moving through that belief, that fear of others, so we can begin to demonstrate the miracles that are available when we do. Beginning with just that simple offering of oh my God, you're so beautiful. Oh, I just want to say, your smile really just lights the room up. Oh, I really like your outfit today. Oh, uh, you know, I just want to say, um, you have a really lovely speaking voice. I know I don't know you, I pardon the interruption, but I just wanted to say, your hair looks really beautiful today. Because we don't know the medicine we may be offering someone. So, in a, you know, if we take this into, uh, you know, to consider what occurred in Charleston, could there have been, do you think there may have been a different outcome if more people shared loving insights with this young man? instead of fearful ones. If more people were kind to him, do you think he may have had a different perspective of the world, a different experience? Now, the fear that has manifested in this experience looks like racism because that's on the forefront of the social consciousness right now. Now, the inquiry as practitioners that we get to go into is if we know that our thoughts create our experiences, not just on an individual level, but on a cultural level, the cultural consciousness, then what is going on here? If this is an outpicturing of an inward condition, then what is the inward condition? 
And how do we as practitioners heal that? During the Occupy Wall Street movement, I was really getting jazzed, you know, like many people. I listen to Marianne Williamson. She gets people really jazzed when it comes to political movements, you know, taking a stand, we're done with this, all that stuff, that's love, all that stuff. And I don't always resonate. I appreciate, but don't always resonate with Marianne's approach. And so I asked my teacher, uh, actually Venerable Tahani, it was on a call with her. I was in Jennifer's class at the time. And she, like I invite Jennifer to class, she invites Venerable Tahani to her, speak to her students once a month. Um, and I asked Venerable, I was like, well, how do we take a stand for what we feel is right without energizing separation? Because there was definitely an us versus them um, sort of experience unfolding with the Occupy Wall Street thing. And she said, well, we go and we hold the vision. We're the vision holders. And so we visualize, we uh, go and we hold the vision of um, a world, of world peace, really, guys. Like it says in the Inspire mission statement, the last line of our mission statement is our intention to create world peace, peace by peace. But we are the peace by peace. And so um, it's the individual connecting into the collective by holding a vision. So we don't decide who's wrong and we don't decide who's right. We don't say this is a good guy and this is a bad guy because that's just all perception anyway and we don't really know. And we don't know what the greatest you know, what's unfolding on a greater scale. We can trust that our greatest good is always available. The best case scenario is always available, even if we it seems un, you know, cool to say that. So we hold the vision of, and ex- using the example of Occupy Wall Street, of a country where we take care of each other, where everybody's needs are met, where everybody works with one another, And so we go within and we see that. And then this is the important aspect of it. We begin to feel the feelings of peace. We begin to feel the feelings of abundance, of plenty. And it's in that feeling tone that will begin to shift the collective consciousness, our our nation's consciousness the cultural consciousness. It's in the feelings. It's lifting the, the feeling vibratory um, essence there, lifting that up so we become an energetic, we become energetically aligned with world peace. So peace, world peace cannot be actualized, realized, and experienced until we are peaceful. We must feel peaceful first. We must become an energetic alignment with peace in order for that to actualize itself. And enough of us have to be able to do that for the shift in the invisible and the conscious and the mind level. All healing, guys, all healing is done at the level of the mind and love is the only healer, okay? So we must utilize our loving truth, our inherent truth, 
go within and hold the vision of peace. And so, knowing this, when we, you know, there is this, A Course in Miracles goes into this, and we're not going to really get into the Course until our second year of this program, but, you know, the Course suggests that everything, all fear, all of that stuff comes from a subconscious guilt. And the guilt is this belief that we somehow separated ourselves from God in order to be individuals. And so we, in this realm, this, you know, space that we're all having, this human experience where we're playing, we find um, symbols to project all of our guilt onto. So we love to find people who are guilty. So we can we can uh, blame them. Because we're looking for somebody to blame, someone to project this guilt in that we are carrying around, that we've been carrying around since um, existence. And so when someone does something that would that we all deem uh, is worthy of our guilt and hate and fear, then we allow all of that to be projected onto them and we make them guilty. When, if, this is where we have to put on our practitioner hats, if we are all innocent, if we are all innocent, that means he's innocent too. He had a moment of mistaken identity in which he thought he was separate from those people and he had an active belief system that they were attacking us. Now, what's really powerful, and I'm, uh, I think it's really beautiful, is that the families were able to confront him in court. He was via satellite, but he was, you know, they were able to talk to him because he confessed to the, the shooting. And every single one of the families of all of the victims forgave him two days after this experience. Now, I'm not sure, you know, if it's like really true forgiveness, as in I see you as innocent, my brother. I know that nothing bad happened. I know that something unfolded. As, you know, to support you and support your healing will put you in a place where you can rehabilitate, not be punished, but rehabilitate. But it is still is a step in such the right direction where the families forgave him. So it should be an interesting, you know, and what's powerful is this is a very powerful way, and I have to imagine that this was a collective decision that was reached uh, with the guidance of some of the thought leaders that are supporting the healing of, I hope that's what they're doing, is supporting the healing of uh, race, the racist mentality, is they said, let us teach them how we handle this. Let us teach them the efficacy of our choices. And we are going to choose to forgive, not retaliate. And let's see what can unfold there. I mean, imagine the world we would live in if on you know, September 12, 2001, George Bush, George W. said, it ends here. It ends here. We will not retaliate. We forgive you. We understand that this came from a belief that we have been harming you and we will take every step necessary to support that healing so that we can live as a united as United Nations across the globe. It ends here. 
the day we take a stand for peace. I mean, imagine, one, the legacy that George W. would have left, and two, the world that we would be living in today. And that is what the families of the people that uh, were shot in Charleston are doing. They're forgiving this young man. So it's an interesting uh, thing to sort of observe. And I'm going to open up the conversation now to the group so you can share that. And I'm going to invite everyone to be mindful, honest, authentic, and open, but also consider all of the things that we just discussed. If we are all loved, if we are all truly innocent, if this man must uh, you know, is deserving of our unconditional love if it's uh, an outward picturing of an inward condition, what is that inward condition? Where in your life do you not share those your love with people? Where are you withholding your love with people and how is that affecting your life and the life of those around you? Where do you make yourself right and other people wrong? Where do you feel victimized? Where do you feel attacked? They say defense, defensiveness is often the first step in attack. Where do you feel you are defending yourself? Against what? If love is all there is, and what are we defending ourselves against? If we believe we can be attacked, guess what we'll experience? So, practitioners, what are your thoughts? The uh, group is open for discussion. Hi, this is Martha. Hi, Martha. Hello. (laughs) For me, I... I've, um, the fact that the family members were able to um, be able to put it out there that, you know, that they forgive this young man, I think that that just helped in the, in the healing process, that it helped for the community um, not to feel maybe if they who lost a loved one were able to do that, then it's a bigger example and then it helps for others not with the anger or the frustration they may be feeling. It kind of, I think it helps um, minimize some of that anger they might have because they're talking, the people giving out this message are those that were more closely affected by this great loss, which is their loved one. For me, it was a reminder to be more committed to what we're doing with this class and in our spiritual growth because, like we say, the peace that we want to see outside of us is has to begin with the peace within. And so it um, made me more conscious and um, give it some thought as far as the times that I have been prejudiced in different areas in my life and sometimes that ugly head still pops up and just to be more aware of it when it does 
and just um, continuing this path to try to be more loving with everybody in every moment, um, to take that time to pause and before reacting. And I just think that um, also in the sense that I think that young people that are expressing themselves in this way, how much pain are they in that they have, that they're in disbelief, that they have, that this is how it's showing in their life, that they're willing to try to hurt others, but in reality it's just the pain that is within them. Like the book that we're reading says it's ignorance or, you know, their confusion or their lack of thought that they're separated from a place of love and peace. So it just uh, helps me to commit more so to what we're doing because we it starts within. And so I know, you know, I still need work to, to be done. Um, and so that's what I got out of this whole event that we're viewing outside of us in the collective, you know, with us, with this whole racial thing that it's been going on for a while now. And so I just think that the reaction that the family members, uh, how they're dealing with it is just, it's it's a lesson for everybody. And I think it's helping us continue to grow and eventually, you know, we're moving in the right direction of peace and love. That's all. Thank you for sharing beautiful, beautiful insights. This is Vanessa. Um, can you guys hear me good? Yep. Okay. Um, I was thinking about like how you posed the question of if he had a, if he had been shown more kindness or love, um, would it have you know maybe changed the course of his life and then these events that happened? Um, and I think about that with with a lot of things because I work with officers a lot and they they're always telling me how there's so much evil out there and the things they experience or the things they see or the calls they get in. I mean. It's like really scary, heavy shit. So, um, you know, I think about all that because we talk about love and love being the center, and everybody wants love and stuff. Um, and I, I struggle with that because I'm like, okay, well, how much of it is our thoughts create our experience? And if you're shown love, maybe the thoughts would be different, which would shape a different experience. And how much of it is, well, shit's gonna happen anyway, like. Even if he, I mean, maybe he would have changed, but maybe he wouldn't have. You know, some people are just going to do what they do anyway. I don't know. I, I, you know, are they going to do what they do anyway because that's just what's going to happen? Like, because stuff's just going to happen sometimes. And maybe, maybe if he, I mean, he wasn't, I mean, I don't know his life, right? But he was obviously um, in in a darker place than, for example, me, right? But, so the woulda, shoulda, coulda doesn't matter, I guess. But um, I wonder, like, sometimes things that happen, like the way I try to rationalize it to myself is um, things are going to happen anyway sometimes, and it's, it, can, it serves as an opportunity for somebody, for those families, for the rest of the world. Because, I, I mean, lately, like, more and more of the news is covering stories like this 
which I'm sure have been happening all the time, but it's like all the time on the news, like all the time. Like, when are we going to, I I don't want to like ignore what's happening, but let's stop talking about it for a second because we're feeling all of these brains that watch the news with a bunch of like racial stuff and it keeps on happening and police on, you know, brutality and stuff. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, if thoughts create our experience, everyone's thinking a lot of these negative thoughts. Like, when can the news just publicize positive? And I'm kind of going on a rant, but, you know, I was thinking about, like, if someone is shown love or kindness, does that necessarily change what actions they might do in the future? I'm not sure. Like, I don't, I, I mean, maybe, but I feel like things are just going to happen anyway. And it still serves, I mean, at the end, the end result, I feel, it still serves as an opportunity to show love or express love or forgive or, you know, for anyone, for the families, for the rest of the world. Like, maybe this was a an opportunity still, even if he had been shown more love and kindness and still would have done this, for us to forgive and express love. And even for the officers that I deal with, too, like, it's just sad. But, and they, they were like, there's so much evil, and I don't see that evil, you know, on a day-to-day basis or feel that that's true completely because I, we talk about this, you know, we're all love and the core is love. But, I mean, even as an officer or as a firefighter or being in the military, to see, like, really inhumane things, it's, it's scary. Like, well, no wonder these people believe we're not, it's not all. Because when I start talking about stuff at work like this, they're like, Vanessa, you're crazy. Like, what are you talking about? You know? Like, you don't know what you're saying. <laughs> anyway, that's my thing. But I, I still try to tell them, like, you know, it's it's an opportunity for someone, for the families, for the rest of the world. Like, it doesn't help that we keep talking about it, though. So, anyway, good morning. <laughs> you know, good morning. Um, you know, Vanessa, shit will keep happening until it doesn't. And so, um, like I said, you know, think about it again. You know, it's an out-picturing of an inward condition. So what does that mean? What do you think that means? Um, that what we're seeing, like what is happening already is the result of the beliefs or fears that we already have, in, that we have inside. As a whole, yes. even as an individual. Yes. yes, so good, yeah. It's our belief system projecting <laughs> experiences that are in alignment with our belief systems out there. You know, so this young man in Charleston had a belief that he was separate from people of color. He had a belief that they were out to attack, you know, And so he wanted to get them first to stop the attacks that he believed were unfolding. And also, you know, there's a call, and this is a very unpopular thing to discuss, but it is, it can't not be as well. You know, there, uh, it's an invitation for the um, African-American community as well to heal any victim mentality because if they continue to feel victimized that we're victims of the system then what do you think will continue to express for them 
I mean, and that's just what it is. So it's a, it's a belief system in victimization active. It's a belief system in attack active. It's a belief system in separation active. It's a belief system that certain people do certain things and other people do other things. Yeah, and it's all a call to change our minds. So, yes, shit will continue to happen until we change our minds. And, you know, my husband gets really fascinated by these cases. He was really, uh, he did a lot of uh, uh, research and investigation and all this stuff on the Boston bombing trial. And I, at dinner last night, I invited him to think, I was like, what if you didn't do that with this case? Because, you know, I've said it before, you know, loneliness is an epidemic. There's a lot of loneliness active in this world, in this country, in this city. And we see people like the Boston Bomber, they put him on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. And so they created a celebrity of him. And like you said, to your point, you know, the news glorifies insanity. (laughs) And, you know, because they feel like those stories sell, then they feel like they sell because they have the numbers to prove that they do. And so I invited Chris. I was like, well, what if you didn't click on those articles? What if you didn't visit the sites about this thing? So, you know, that could be your contribution to not continuing the glorification of these stories of violence and rage and pain. And maybe there would be less of it in the media, which then some lonely kid in South Carolina wouldn't see the attention and the coverage and the fan base that is created like they did with the Boston bombing trial. And then he maybe wouldn't have the idea or impulse to be like, I am so lonely. I am so, I feel so invisible that this could, I'm so afraid, I'm so whatever, that this seems like a viable idea. And then I can be seen and uh, have all this attention and this big fuss made over me and da 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 da. So I invited my husband to do that, and I don't think he will, but I, invite, I put the invitation out there. And, you know, my teacher, Jennifer, doesn't watch the news, you know, because it's all the same. Now, the characters might be different, but it's all the same thing. It's the belief in separation manifesting itself in these heinous experiences that we all energize, that we all look at, and that we can have someone to project all our guilt on for a year until we need someone else, until, you know, until they actually get the death penalty, and then we have that sinking feeling of, oh, my God, I contributed to that. You know, and so we need someone else to place our, you know, project our guilt onto. So, it doesn't matter. It's it's the ego, and we don't need to go into the ego too much right now, but it's just ego displays of violence and anger and rage, which are all the inner storms that brew within 
many of us until we heal it, until we release it, you know. So what if we all collectively, what if we in the, just in this group, in this community, agree to only click on stories that celebrate humanity, celebrate kindness and compassion? What if we only energize that? What if we accepted that there is war and famine and pain? And listen, if you feel that intuitive nudge to um, support the vision of everyone being fed and that unfolds as you going to countries where there seems to be famine and hunger and you support feeding people, that's great. That doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're not playing into the collective consciousness of whatever. Be part of the solution. Allow it to come from a space of love. But don't fall in that trap of people saying that, you know, uh, it's uneducated or it's socially irresponsible not to be updated with all the misery in the fucking world. That's bullshit, you know. We get to take care of our minds, which means we don't have to be up to date on all of the new, breaking, heinous news stories out there. Jesse, Some say you're, yes, go ahead. I just want to thank you for taking the conversation in this direction because when the conversation first started, I was feeling like I haven't heard anything. You know, I knew this happened, but I haven't seen a single thing about it. So when you kicked off this whole conversation, I was like having all this anxiety about the fact that I'm a horrible person, that I don't know anything about these people. Um, so I'm happy that the conversation is steering in this direction. Uh, I appreciate that this is what it's coming to, and I just wanted to say thank you. Well, what, you don't have more to share than that? I know who you are. <laughs> you have to have some insights. Did anything come up for you during the conversation? Or I, um, you know, when I hear about these things, I do have compassion for the people involved, but I also know that these things occur every day all around the world. Um, and and they're all horrible. And so I do not participate most of the time in finding out all the details. Um, I, I do tend, to, you know, I do say a prayer. I do have a, a quiet moment of appreciation and gratitude that this kind of thing is not occurring in my life. But, but yeah, I do kind of tend to avoid it. And I, I had a really, you know... It, interesting conversation with a man once who told me that, you know, he avoids the mental temptation. So, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't look at entertainment news because the women are dressed scandalously and, you know, he avoids these things because it's a temptation to yourself and to your own evil or to your own, you know, desires. Um, and it was very interesting to hear him take it to kind of an extreme to the to the point where, you know, he lives his life fully, but he, if he can, avoid, you know, going into a bar because he, he doesn't know if he'll be tempted to drink or not. And, and that really, you know, has been coming up for me as we've been talking about, as this conversation started to turn to, you know, not participating in these news stories, you know, that's where it kind of comes from for me. I'm like very tempted to blame people, to make judgments on people, to, you know, be horrified by all of the the things that occur. And my 
you know, practice has been kind of to just not, you know, not tempt myself by finding out more and getting involved in the conversations and, and the dialogue and the debates that tend to occur around these things. So that's where I'm at with this. Yeah, beautiful. And, you know, I'm going to, I mean, you know that phrase, what you resist persists. Um, so just as an invitation, just a shift in the language, uh, which I feel like can take it from a space, uh, really put, take it to a really powerful place is not that we avoid anything because that's almost like living in denial. We can choose what we place our attention on and what we invest our energy in. So it's not that we avoid that. It's just we and we just our precious, we invest our precious energy and our precious time into things that are inspiring, that lift people up, that, um, you know, create more love. Uh, because, you know, socially, uh, you know, there's an agreement that we take care of each other, so to just avoid it is, and your friend's onto something too. I mean, let me just say he's onto something. Like, like if I can, it's a real discipline not to pick up like the gossip columns and while you're waiting in line at the grocery store, or to click on those, you know, plastic surgery nightmare little things that are everywhere now on online and stuff like that. It's really challenging. But it is developing that loving discipline to keep our attention and our focus on that, which is supporting our, you know, mission statement, world peace, peace by peace. You know, and this is really important, guys. In every breath, in every situation, with every decision you make, you get to ask yourself. And... In the beginning, it has to be a very conscious choice. Is this loving? Is this loving? Is this loving? Is this the most loving thing I can do for myself? Is this loving? And again, like I mentioned before, we are always, always teaching the efficacy of our choices. Meaning, our life is teaching people about the choices we make. Our life is teaching people about the choices we make in the sense of, you know, our life is an outward picture of our inward condition. So what are you teaching people about your life? What are you teaching people about the decisions you make? We have 10 more minutes left for this conversation. So let's keep it rolling. Hi, it's Brandon. Hey, Brandon. Um, I want to thank you so much for not uh, not being around the bush about such a deep collective conversation that's happening around us because I think that's where we actually become practitioners by actually engaging with people who do have fears and concerns about what's happening and why it's happening. Uh, I, uh, when I think about these kinds of things, 
I definitely think about how the the how and the whys initially, like how and why why does that happen? How could it happen? And it always brings me back to my Christian roots, which has not served me as of late. You know, it, it did what it needed to do growing up, but the whole idea that God works in mysterious ways, only God can know. But if we're going to keep this in alignment with our literature that we're reading right now, is that, you know, if if God is all there is and I'm aligned with God and I'm, I'm the creation of God and God is in me, then I have access to that knowledge too. So I don't have to run around confused and clueless as to what's happening in the world and why it's happening. And I think the more of us who come to clarity about that particular aspect, or at least make an attempt, you know, when you first brought up the topic today, I was, my mind just went whoosh, and all these like, like synapses were shooting off and I'm like, Ooh, and all these levels of debate in my head were like the very ground level was an immediate emotional response. And then the next level might've been the nonviolent activist. I mean, then the next level is, you know, a practitioner, the spiritual practitioner who I want to be on a day-to-day basis started to speak louder and louder and louder. And thankfully that's where I'm going to try to, you know, share from today. But what I see when these events happen is the opposite of sanity. And I see that as, as, as the result of, um, as not of the person who supposedly created the damage or if this was, you know, Occupy, it wouldn't have been the 1% that I see that in Sandy. I see the insanity all around in terms of exhilaration. And there's a lot of exhilaration that happens. And exhilaration is not peace. It's not joy. It's the revving up and the, you know, just getting excited about every little thing, whether it's anger or um, some other mass form of fear. There's a lot of exhilaration happening right now. And I think an exhilaration to me is opposite of sanity, of sanity, soundness of mind. And I think the best amazing thing was that the people who are, you know, directly related to the victims stopped and paused and entered into a space of forgiveness. And like you said, we don't know where their hearts lie on that spectrum of forgiveness, but the fact that they are opening that door and making their own demonstration at a global level is so powerful to me. And as someone, like you said, I won't get into the course, but forgiveness is the opportunity in the, and the vehicle to turn everything back into its rightful view. So I'm, I'm loving that. I'm also loving the understanding from the literature that this isn't God's punishment. This didn't happen because of God. This happened because of the impersonal law of cause and effect. And we had these beliefs. We have a collective understanding that there are white supremacists. We have a collective under, even if it's, mythology passed down generation to generation, there are those of us who still partake in these beliefs and it's going to continue to persist unless enough of us really get clear about how we stay sane and how we stay sane is recognizing that we aren't separate. And the way I would approach 
anyone with these concerns is kind of the way I would approach a child who sees a monster under their bed. You know, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to, and I understand that there's a collective idea of this, of racism and poverty, but I don't watch the news for the same reasons. I don't watch the news because I'm not interested in hearing the stories. I'm not confused that these are just stories told over and over and over again. And I, I, I would, I, and that doesn't mean I don't want to partake in, you know, the healing and the solution. That just means that I understand that there is uh, uh, these, these stories and there's a lot of us stuck in telling the same ones over and over and over again. And then we look confused at each other as to how the story happened over and over again, because we've been telling it. We've been, we haven't been saying anything different. And, um, it, and for me, what I would do is literally just, you know, be with the people, understand that they do have these real pains and real fears, but to know that's not where it stops and that's not where it ends and that's not where they're, they, they're meant to ultimately be. But, um, yeah, and the way I make sure my vision is clear is, you know, as our literature says, all, self, uh, all treatment is self-treatment. So just on a daily basis, reminding myself of that with an affirmative prayer for myself along with the collective. So I just want to thank you again because I feel like we could do a whole series on actually responding to these overarching crises that happen on a global scale and how we can really, really respond to the reactions of others, basically, and really kind of slow it down and bring it back to uh, a loving form. So thank you. Brandon, what's the practitioner's definition of responsibility? Ability to respond in love. There you go. Yes. So let us all master the art of responsibility. Um, And, you know, I'm going to share, I'm going to invite everybody that, um, you know, we do have a social contract. And that social contract pretty much is that we um, keep our spiritual religious views to ourselves in environments in which that are not, um, <laughs> you know, that we don't necessarily go and say, well, you know, because it's not going to do you much good to say, well, this is just an outpicturing of an inward condition. I'm not going to energize it. Because people will, one, look at you like you're crazy, or two, uh, really try to debate you, and there's no real sense in doing that. So I invite everyone to really practice this, and this is a very powerful practice. And I've noticed that sort of the great, the greatest spiritual teachers that I've come in contact with say very little until they are asked to contribute. And so I'm going to invite everyone to do two things. One, keep your perspective, the spiritual perspective, to yourself until you are asked your opinion. And then share what you feel comfortable sharing. And that might be, you know, I'm not sure. 
<laughs> okay. So that's one thing is I'm going to invite everyone, and this goes in all realms because there's no need, there's no, no, nothing productive comes out of trying to out-spiritualize our friends. And I say that from much experience of trying to get my, my enlightened perspective out on the table. Bullshit. So keep your mouth shut until you are asked to contribute. Two, teach your perspective through your demonstrations, meaning act with kindness. Act with patience and compassion. Refrain from casting judgments or agreeing in sort of an enemy or attack philosophy. Take a step back. So many times people are just looking for someone to agree with. And so if someone says, you know, cast an opinion that you don't believe, you can simply say, that's not my experience. My experience is that there's a lot of love in the world. You know, my experience is that there are many good people my family is a wonderful example. So teach your belief system through your life, through your choices. Teach the efficacy of your choices by living, a, by practicing radical kindness and forgiveness. One of the books we'll read next quarter is Radical Forgiveness. All right, five-minute break. It's 9.32. I'll see you at 9.37. Please keep your phones on, just on mute, and we'll uh, go into our re- the review of our material after the break. Go have a potty, refill your tea, and I'll see you at 9.37.
Okay, 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 okay. We are back. Uh, is everyone here? Here. All right. Well, you know what? As long as Mark Berger's here. I'm here. I'm good with the word. Brandon's here. Silky's here. Jennifer's here. <laughs> All right. So. All right, so facilitation is the art of um, facilitating and teaching usually are two different things. Teaching, you are um, sharing information, you're giving information, you know, it's like traditional, and you're, you're teaching, you know, you're giving people the information about something, you're you stand as an expert or at least very knowledgeable on whatever course it is, and you're giving people information so that they can take it home and then they can – it's a transference of, 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 of knowledge. Uh, now, there's many elements of that in facilitation, but really facilitation in this capacity, what I'm talking about right here now, is the ability to masterfully lead a group conversation, a conversation at a group level meaning that you hold the space, you're a space holder, for the deepest level of healing available to unfold. So you become, uh, you stand firm and deep in your intention to allow that to unfold. And then you uh, create the space for people to share and uh, to build a conversation that they themselves are leading. So it's pretty much you're creating space for people to teach themselves, and you can do so through a series of questions, just basic inquiry like, oh, what do you mean by that? Would you like to share your experience? That's very interesting. You know, I have a similar experience, and so you're sharing experiences, you're keeping the conversation going. Now, a master facilitator will really keep the conversation moving, and they know how to lovingly and masterfully give people enough space to say what they need to do, what they say what they need to say but then they can, they can also begin to uh, lovingly stop someone when they're going into either story or they're taking the conversation off topic or whatever. So uh, we happen to have a master facilitator who has a lot of facilitation experience in our midst, and that is Mark Greger. And so, Mark, I am going to uh, let you facilitate um, some conversations here about the reading. Uh, during our review. So, um, the review chapters, uh, thinking affirmatively, uh, belief, faith, and prayer. Um, Oh my gosh, I can't even read my own writing here. Sorry, hold on. Let me grab my notes. Well, we'll start with thinking affirmatively anyway. So, um, Mark, why don't you go ahead and um, take center stage or at least be the first link in the chain of the sacred circle and facilitate a conversation about the chapter thinking affirmatively. Now, I'm going to invite everyone to share. Soki, I haven't heard you share yet, so uh, make sure you share as well. Get in there. Uh, this is where the work is, people. It's so important to really get a firm, firm, firm grasp on these principles 
these laws, this reading, this is the foundation from which the entire practitioner program is going to be built upon. So really, if you have any questions, if there's anything you want more clarity on, if there is anything you don't agree with, anything that you like to voice, whatever it is, make sure that your voice is heard, okay? We are interested in what you have to say and always ask your questions because your question usually is going to answer someone else's question, okay? So um, without further ado, I give you Mark Ricker. Uh, hello. Good morning, everyone. Um, okay, so I'm 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 just gonna go with it because um, I wasn't planning to facilitate this morning, and all is perfect. Um, so first, let's get clear of you know what is a conversation or a discussion, just so we kind of have that as a baseline. So the idea here is there's multiple perspectives, minds, souls, spirits all connected to the oneness. So we're all going to have a different understanding um, and a different way that we perceive the conversation. So in that context, there is no right or wrong with anything that we may share, um, with any intuitive hits that may come to us in the midst of the conversation. So this is really an open forum not to say what's right or not to be worried about saying what's wrong, but to simply share whatever's coming up for you for whatever's coming up for you is your unique expression of the oneness, the one understanding and consciousness that we're all bringing to the table. So with that said, um, I find that opening these conversations is usually a good place to do it, and I don't know if it's going to necessarily work here, but we'll see, is to start with opening the floor to a question. And questions are really important because questions aren't just about the things that we really have no clue about. Those are obvious questions. I invite you guys to think a little bit further beyond just the obvious question of something you may not actually know or be clear about, and dig a little deeper around the things that you do know about. Um, as practitioners, and just listening to what you guys shared in the, in the first part of our class, I mean, there's just such insight and such depth, and you guys are so getting this. Um, on so many levels. There's a lot here that you do know and you do get. Um, but I invite you to, to kind of poke around what you do know and see if there's still little something there that maybe you're still having a pause with or you're still like, well, I, I get this, but there's this other little part over here that I'm still trying to figure out or still exploring. Those are the questions that really could be powerful in the conversation you know, we'll have today. So with that, um, I guess I'll just open the floor to see, does anyone in the group have a question around um, particularly the topic thinking affirmatively? Any questions or anything that's coming up there for you that you're still not 100% clear with or, or would like a little bit more conversation exploration around? Uh, this is Soki. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Yeah, um, I'd like to speak from my very own experience on thinking affirmatively because I've been dealing with this uh, condition. You know, I it's more of demonstration because I've been dealing with this chronic condition of uh, chronic pain. 
back pain and uh, on my heel and every every step i take is painful on my right heel and i'm trying to heal myself by thinking affirmatively you know practicing it that our thoughts create our experience so i'm in the process of uh, thinking affirmatively i do some affirmations of loving myself every day approving and loving myself and where this pain is coming from so i am locked on that because every day and every step i take is painful and that's the reason why i also um i also um looked for this spiritual spirituality group because i know a lot of my pain is coming from uh, the thoughts that i have learned and i need to unlearn in the process mm. yeah so mine is more of demonstration <laughs> how to get rid of this pain by affirmative prayers Got it. Okay, so that's the question, and that's what we want to be clear with. So the question you have here is, is how do you get rid of this pain through affirmative prayer, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so let's open the floor. Who has, um, who would like to jump in here and, and offer some perspective? And even if you're not sure or you have a question as well or you have the same question, feel free to kind of add to um, the topic that Sophia has brought up here. I'll give you guys another 10 seconds and then I'll, I'll offer some perspective. Hi, it's Brandon. Hey. So okay. for me, I have uh, – I'm loving the affirmation, uh, affirmative prayer stuff in particular – because unlike in the past when I've done affirmations, I didn't always, I rarely felt what I was saying with affirmations. But prayer, um, more, more and more now, you know, there are times that I don't actually feel what I'm saying and when I'm affirmatively praying, but I've only obviously been doing it for like a month and a half now. But there are times when I do, and that's so important to me. So when I use, when I, and I have, um, I've had an experience with the back pain and I notice that um, if I'm considering these pains chronic, then that is telling me that it's going to reoccur over and over and over again, as opposed to, um, and then in the past, I would have thought, I'd be like, I don't need to be feeling this back pain. I don't need to be. And that wasn't right for me either. And the golden key last week, I think that's what it was called, was so cool to me because it just kept it really simple. Anytime I felt pain and discomfort in this past week, I just turned my mind toward God, like immediately. And the longer I stay in thinking about God, the longer I, the more and more seconds passed by that I didn't have that pain. And uh, sure, I mean, if, if it's been a pain that I've been living with for years now, it's going to take some chronic affirmative prayer in order for me to 
really start to have a dramatic shift that is long lasting and is a habitual and part of my practice. But uh, for me, that's helped in the past week. Mm. Beautiful. Thanks. Thanks for sharing, Brandon. Anyone else? Who else has some something they like to share on this particular question? Sophie has brought up. Hi, this is Martha. Hey, Martha. um, Hello. My experience as far as with um, working with pain, it's usually, in the way it shows in my life, it's any time that I'm hurting physically, if anything, it's because there's something that needs to be addressed in my life. And usually it's something... um, in the past, I've always had, like, female problems, and it was just this incredible rejection that I had because I was a woman, and I had so much resentment for my past experiences and my um, confusing beliefs about um, men and just just different things. Uh, I was resentful for being a woman, and because I felt that that was kind of shitty that, as women, we go through all these different physical changes and um, I was just really rejective of the difference between men and female as far as the way I had experienced in my life. So I just give it up to God, and I do seek help sometimes. Um, at one time, I I was in great pain where I was thinking of going to the to the ER, but I have a friend that works at with the issues that he's able to address at a, of what the cause of the pain was. And so I've seen how, as he kind of helps me clear up and come to the point, why am I getting, why am I feeling this physically? And it's usually on a mental level of my beliefs that I've had. And so he's helped me through the healing of that. And I've seen how within half an hour, I was like 90% better. But he was addressing it at at the belief level. And so mm. I know that that just is what causes and it shows up on the physical level. And so I've also like um, Brandon has said about the golden key, that also I've experienced where I'm in pain and just even just saying God, just saying God, God over and over, the name of God, and and the pain will, I mean, disappear. And it might come later, but it, it works. It, it just does. It's, but it's in the belief that I've, it has just, it's like they say, until you experience it, it's like there's no way of denying what is. And so, um, so just offer it to God and, to help you see what um, what the underneath of the creating of this pain for you is. Um, so that's been my experience as far as that. So I think it, our belief in um, just manifest, um, whether it's in healing or in disease, it's that cause and effect of the law, you know. That's been my experience. 
Thank you, Martha. You know, thank you for sharing that. You know, Beautiful. I think... Go ahead, Jessica. Yeah, Mark, I'm just going to say, uh, go ahead and share your thought, and then let's uh, move on to let God do it. Okay. Um, I was just going to offer just one other, um, another perspective here. Um, you know, f- for me, I have, um, very few people know this, but for past eight years, um, I have, have had an experience um, in, with my physical body um, that's been uh, pretty much undiagnosable or has been undiagnosed. Um, no one can really kind of figure out what's going on. And I had many years where I kept having this conversation in my head that something was wrong, um, that I was either doing something wrong or there was something within me that needed to be cleared. And, and in addition to going to doctors and clinics and hospitals, um, I also was going to a lot of healers and um, doing a lot of spiritual work. It was, it was the time that I really was getting more into my spiritual, quote-unquote, study um, to try to figure out what's there, you know, what's there that I need to clear up so that this experience can end. And what I've discovered over the years for myself, eight years now, and, you know, I'm still having this experience, is I, I've learned to let go of my attachment to having have the experience be gone, that my wanting it to be gone is the thing that was distracting me from the blessing of it being in my life in whatever way or shape or form that shows up as. And I'm not necessarily saying this is the right way um, or the wrong way, but it is another perspective to consider that sometimes when we're having physical manifestations, that it is kind of that that impetus, a human impetus to say, oh, I got to get rid of it or I got to fix it right away or how do I get rid, you know, how do I get out of this? And sometimes I think what could be most loving um, and maybe most serving is, is to, to pause and let go of the need to be out of that experience because there's something there in the experience that may still be there for us to learn or to discover. And it doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong or something broken or something needs to be fixed within us. It could just simply be an experience for us to have at this point in our journey. So just offering a little other perspective there around uh, bodily manifestations. Um, Jesse, did you have any thoughts on this one before we move forward? I think you guys are doing really great. Again, very simple. Um, and I think like we talked about it earlier today, our thoughts create our experiences. Our thoughts create our experiences. And, you know, our mission here and with each step we take in this process, we are strengthening our spiritual muscular system to be able to believe that our greatest good is un. And so our affirmation, affirmative thinking, isn't something that we're telling ourselves so we can trick our conscious mind or subconscious mind into manifesting a certain condition. We are affirming what is true. We are affirming that God is all there is, that every quality of the divine God is active and pre-installed within each and every one of us. Now, we're not saying I'm abundant, I'm abundant, I'm abundant to trick ourselves into believing that I'm abundant. We're abundant. What we're really undoing 
is removing the blocks, which are the beliefs, the thoughts, the habits that would try to convince us otherwise. And so, um, yeah, no, I'll end there. I feel complete. I feel complete. We are uh, at the gist of it. And what, if we could really simplify it and get it clear and really start applying this, guys, really think about it. You could really, really get, you know, hold this. Um, become well-disciplined in the act of pausing before you speak and think about what are you affirming in your life down to, oh, work is going to be crazy this week. Is that true? How do you know that's true? How could that possibly be true? You're going to create it as such because you're affirming that it's going to be crazy and this law is impersonal, but you could also say, I look forward to ease and grace in all situations. I'm, I look forward to knowing, you know, I'm, I look forward to seeing the best case scenario in every situation. I look forward to being calm and collective no matter what is unfolding around me. I know that I'm taken care of. I live in a loving universe. I have the full God-backed power of the divine guiding me and working through me. I know that there is always a way. I know that things unfold easily for me. I know I am abundant. That's my birthright. Fun examples to use. All right, let's move on. Okay, so let's move on uh, to our second topic, which or chapter, I should say. It's uh, let God do it. Who has a question or something that's coming up for them around this topic? If you don't have a question or a topic, does anyone have a perspective or a thought they would like to share on this topic? Are you guys all just letting God do it here? <laughs> all right. I'll, oh, Did someone come on? Yeah, I, I was going to say, Mark, y'all better be sharing. This is my like favorite chapter. <laughs> what did you guys write in your homework? Come on, why why are we? I know each and every one of you, and there's only one person in this group that kind of pretends to be shy. Everyone else I know is very much an outward personality. Let's hear your thoughts. <laughs> All right. I, well, I, I'll I'll start the process um, or the conversation here. Um, so I really I really loved this chapter um, because um, in the past um, I've I've had this this disconnect or this misunderstanding between let God do it and allowance. Um, you know, there's this concept in, in spiritual practice of, of allowing, and uh, I had had shared in my my homework back to Jesse this week that. Um, most of my life, for probably about 32, 33 years, I spent my life forcing things, trying to force things to happen, make things happen, career, money, um, success, whatever it may be, relationships, everything I, I was really good at forcing to make happen. And something shifted um, at some point in my 20s where all of a sudden that forcing didn't seem to work anymore. 
And all, you know, what I used to do in the past now no longer got the same results. And I was like, what's going on? And I started to learn about this concept of, of allowing. So I started five years ago to really be in the space of, okay, I'm just going to allow things to happen. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to stop forcing. And I'm going to allow things to unfold. I'm going to allow my natural abundance and happiness and health and all that to unfold for me. And in the course of these past five years, that practice of allowance certainly did have a different result. The result was basically most of the structure I created and foundation I had in my life pretty much disappeared. I was allowing everything to basically fall apart around me, quote, unquote. And what I've learned through this process is that there's there's a difference between, you know, sitting back and kind of waiting for something to happen and really letting God do it. When we talk about letting God do it, from my perspective, it's, it's not about sitting back and waiting for God to do something. It's about aligning ourselves with God. And in other words, aligning ourselves with our truth. Aligning ourselves with we are abundant, we are happy, we are joyous, we, we, have, we are deserving, we're worthy, whatever that may be for what's serving for us in the moment. It's about aligning our thoughts and our understanding that that is our truth. So for me, it's, it's, it's been an interesting journey these past five years of, of expanding my understanding of the concept of allowance and letting God do it to not just sitting back and just trusting and hoping, oh, I hope it, it'll work out. I hope my client will, will come through. I hope I'll have um, uh, a relationship this year. I'll just allow it to happen. Isn't really what it's about. It's really about taking the practice and putting it in play with really being in alignment with that and having that conscious throughout our day as we do take action because sometimes there are actions that do need to be taken. So that's a little bit of what was coming up for me in, in reflecting on this particular topic. Who else has something? Jennifer, do you have anything there? Sure. Um, you know, in this particular chapter, Let God Do It, you know, I love it. I love using these analogies to help <clears throat> draw an understanding around <clears throat> these fountains and sort of drawing out the kind of, when, when you say that one fountain might be jealous of another fountain, you know, you really get this, you know, this you're like, oh, well, that's ridiculous. And and that really leads to this realization that this behavior really, it is ridiculous, but in our daily lives, we don't see it. We don't, uh, we're not looking in those places. So I, I love using these analogies whenever whenever I can, and I, I pocket these in my little treasure chest of of ways to sort of use common day things to help explain spiritual ideas to people and I get a lot out of them myself. Um, the the difficulty with this chapter for me is I'm a total control freak. I am constantly planning. I am constantly trying to manifest. Um, I kind of learned early on about manifesting, you know, 
you know, I kind of, I started out in some of those classes where they're like, you know, get rich by thinking rich and doing kind of a lot of that. And I've, I've been really successful with these techniques. And so it's only been in the last five years or so that I've seen, okay, actually, there's this whole other school of thought. There's all this stuff, deeper, deeper, um, deeper areas to look. And you know, so for me, like getting out of the habit of planning, planning, manifesting, manifesting, and just saying, okay, you know, whatever happens is really like not looking realistic to me at the moment. I'm really having to do a lot of work around the fact that I guess, you know, I grew up in this uh, religious background where like horrible things happen to you so that you can learn um spirituality and so you have to go through these horrible things and then and then you will know God it's kind of you know as a child what I how I understood spirituality so I have a really hard time saying okay let's let God do it because in my mind in the back of my mind in my in my human thinking I think well that means I'm gonna have to go through something really horrible um because you know that's kind of how I was taught that God operates so yeah, I've just been, you know, this chapter was, was, it was a short chapter, but I got probably the most out of this chapter that, that week that we were reading this. There was a lot of chapters longer than this, but this was the one that really struck me the most, just saying, you know, we are, we are God. We are um, letting, letting God do it is this, uh, that, that in doing that, it is going to be for the greater good. It is going to be okay and that God isn't going to, you know, test us or challenge us or throw us to the wolves um, if he doesn't think that we have the tools enough to get through it. So that's kind of where I landed on this chapter. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Jesse, um, any thoughts? Yeah, you know, Jennifer made a really great point, and I think that, um, you know, uh, she made a really great point. And I first want to say, you know, we are spiritual beings having a human experience, and we are supposed to enjoy the experience. Each and every one of us has our own talents, interests, and desires, and that's wonderful. Thank goodness we are all plugged into an infinite resource. So there's absolutely no reason ever to, one, covet what somebody else has, two, compare ourselves to anyone else and their good, and three, to feel as though there is competition. That is a fantasy and one that only creates suffering and upset in your life. With that said, many of the classes that Jennifer was talking about, about manifest the life that she wants and all that stuff, is very much focused on the shit you can get. You know what I mean? And you can gauge your success with these practices based on the stuff that is happening to you in your life. It is a very common thing to be taught. You can go to weekend-long seminars and all these things that will kind of say, like, what's in your way to getting the life that you want, and it should look this way, and if it's not looking the way you think it should look, then there's something you're doing wrong. Well, oftentimes, I've discovered 
that we don't know what's best for us. And many times the things we want come from this wound that we have, a belief that we're not good enough. And so we want certain things because we think it will help us feel a certain way, that it will compensate for the unworthiness that we experience as ourselves. And I think that if we are here in human form, generally we are brought in with some sort of thought of unworthiness or not good enough or something like that. And our parents have it too, and they taught us how we can compensate for that. You know, get shit. You know, if you have a good job, you know, if you have a hot partner, if you have a certain amount of money, if you have whatever it is, that's a step towards you being more worthy, okay? So many of the crimes committed in America are a result of poverty, of feeling unjustly treated because of our the money we have and there's a resentment and it turns into rage, you know, and all this bullshit. Well, it is, there's absolutely nothing wrong with wanting stuff. Really, there's really nothing wrong with wanting stuff, okay? And it behooves us to be prepared. If there's a specific job you're interested in, if there's something that you're interested in, take the steps towards it. We have to work with the universe. Take the classes that will prepare you to be able to have the kind of job you want. Many people just want stuff, and then they sit around visualizing it, expecting it to be handed to us. Well, there is no, we have to let go of this Santa Claus uh, archetype that we've subscribed to God. No one is going to reward you for your good deeds, okay? Bullshit. And also, no letter is going to be dropped off at your door with your life's mission on it, okay? It's for you to decide. Now, what's really important to know, though, is as practitioners, we have this insight, thank God, that all the stuff that we want oftentimes um, are just projections of spiritual qualities that we would like to experience, that we would like to feel. That big job is a feeling of success. That money is a feeling of freedom. That partner is a feeling of, of worthiness, of being loved. And so what would happen if we shifted our focus away from the stuff and onto the feeling tones? What if instead of, instead of putting all our time and energy on getting a specific thing, we became willing to feel free. We became willing to feel peaceful. We became willing to feel loved. We became, we became willing to feel worthy now. Now, as we have been talking about all day today, our world is an outpicturing of an inward condition. So if we begin to feel loved, then our world around us will support us in living in that. If we believe we are worthy, then the world will align itself with that. It can't not. It is law. And in that moment of clarity, when we're not trying to get, when we're not trying to grasp, when we let go of this coping and managing this depression and this anxiety and these feelings of not good enough, when we let it go, we have enough space to allow those inspired ideas now, get this, inspired is in spirit. So to allow the inspired ideas to come forward. 
who will have a thought, oh, I'd like to do this. I really feel led to do this. So now I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to work with the universe. I'll take the classes. I'll, you know, get the certifications. I'll get the training. I'll go to the place where I feel like I could, whatever, to be able to do this uh, in a way that makes sense for me. I'll take the next indicated step. And this is when the miracles begin to unfold. Now, the trick is we must go forward without attachment. And this is a big thing that many of these classes don't teach us because if they did teach it, then they wouldn't have so many returning students. If you can go forward without like digging your nails into how you think it's supposed to unfold, then you can go forward and be open to receive the gifts that are available to you when you're moving from an inspired space. Because many times you will get an inspired idea to do something, so you will go forward, take the next indicated step so you can be there to do to allow the miracle to unfold for you. Many times you go somewhere so you can just say, as we said before, since we are mastering the ability to uh, listen to our loving intuition and share and express freely, sometimes you're just there to be, to express love so someone can feel love so they don't have to go home and kill themselves or someone else. So this is really the game, guys. It's realizing that nothing, not one thing, not a person, not a title, not a position, not an amount can ever make you happy. Say it again. Nothing outside of yourself can ever make you happy. All the stuff that unfolds as a result of your spiritual practice, those are the fruits from the tree. But the fruits will inevitably die, okay? But we make it all about the fruit, okay? You'll get the job. Maybe you'll get the job. Maybe you'll get the partner. But sooner or later, you'll realize that there's another job or there's another partner or there's another something. The fruit inevitably dies. It's not about the fruit. Yeah, we get to enjoy the fruit. When we eat the fruit, you stop and you be in the present moment with it and enjoy the texture, the taste, the whatever, right? And so that would be enjoy the the uh, you know the MacBook that you got. Enjoy the job that you got. Enjoy the coworkers around you. Enjoy your partner. Be present. Be loving. But know that it's an outpicturing of your inward condition. Okay. Same thing applies to if you don't like your job, if you don't like your partner, if you don't like the uh, conditions of your life. Change your thinking. Change change the inward condition so the outward condition can be um, can transform as well. But it is time that we all really get, because it's time that we all be happy that nothing outside of ourselves will ever make us happy, that our thoughts create our experiences, and that the whole creative power of the universe is present here and now in you, that creative flow. So let God do it, meaning let God work through you. But you got to show up to do it. But first, we have to remove the blocks which are preventing that flow. So it starts within. We have to start one by one letting go of the thoughts, the beliefs, and the unloving habits that are preventing a free flow of divine inspiration from pouring forth through us, as us, and around us. And that's our job. That's what this whole course is designed to do. I'm not saying that you're going to get what you want. 
I don't know what's best for you. God knows I thought that I knew what was best for me many times, and it sucked. But I am available. I am always available for new inspired ideas. And when I have one, I go forward. I take the next indicated step. But I do not uh, hold up, cling to it with attachment. And I'm getting really good at checking my motivation. Where is this coming from? I'm interested in being of service. I'm interested in supporting everyone. Is this self-serving? Is it self-seeking? Am I trying to fill a wound? Or is this coming as a joyful expression of divine intelligence active through me? That's why we use the tools, meditation, prayer, spiritual community to support us in staying aligned with that so we know. I want to thank Mark and everyone who shared. I'm going to take a deep breath in. And uh, I am going to take... Oh, wait. First of all, hold on. Everybody really quick, grab your pens and paper. Grab your pens and paper. Okay. This week's reading. Are you ready? You mark it in your book as well. This week's reading. What do we see in the mirror? Page 156. Thought, feeling, and emotion. God talks to the heart. The river of life. Our spiritual identity forever expands. What do we see in the mirror? Thought, feeling, and emotion. God talks to the heart. The river of life. Our spiritual identity forever expands. That's the reading for this week. One, two, three, four, five chapters. Some of them are like a page long or two pages long. Two sentences at least. You can do more on each chapter. Do Friday by noon. Do your reading, guys. If you can dedicate, you know, 10 minutes a day to the reading, you'll get it all done. Maybe do it on your lunch break. What do we see in the mirror? Thought, feeling, and emotion. God talks to the heart, the river of life, our spiritual identity forever expands. Okay, so I'm going to take Mark's hand. Mark, whose hand will you take? I'll take Jennifer's hand. I'll take Brandon. Brandon, are you on mute or did you leave? Sorry, I'll take Suki's hand. Suki, whose hand will you take? I'll take Jess's hand. Well, how about, would you take Martha's hand? Okay. (laughs) Martha, I'm yours. I bet I know whose hand Martha will take. If she takes herself off of mute. Oh, uh, take Vanessa's hand. I'll take your hand, Jesse. All right. We are one circle, a sacred circle, a blessed community. How grateful I am that we are the two or more who are gathered together with the shared intention of experiencing and expressing a greater awareness of love in, as, and through our life. Yes, we are committed 
to aligning with perfect love, that we may experience and express this love in, as, and through our life. We place on the holy altar in our mind any limiting thought, idea, or belief we have about ourselves, any thought of unworthiness, of lack, not good enough, any um, unloving habits, any relationships that feel codependent, heavy, or unloving. We place them all on the altar now. We hand them over to our highest, holiest spirit self that we may see um, the miracle available. Letting that go so we can rest in the truth of who we are. Limitless potential, activated now, active and ready to shine. Luminous beings who are one with the one who invented love. Yes, we are in love with the one who invented love. And we allow our light to shine. And we share these blessings by seeing this light, the innocence in every face that stands before us, knowing that every living being is deserving of unconditional love. So we send waves of love and light now to our brothers and sisters in Charleston. We send it to our brother who mistook himself for that moment and expressed his fear in a violent way. We surround him with light and with love, and we remember his innocence. We remember it for him. We love him. And we send this light and love to all of the families that are so confused and working through feelings of pain and loss. We lift them up. We let them know that there is nothing gone. We are all here in the loving embrace of God. And we send this love and light to anyone in the world that feels alone, that feels unloved, that feels unnourished and without. Thank you, God, for all the good. Thank you, God, for God. Sharing the healing benefits of this prayer, this time together, this remembrance with everyone, for we are one with them. We release this word in grace and gratitude, and we let it be. And so it is. Amen, amen, amen. All right. I love you guys. I think you're all so great. Um, and go shine your light. And I, uh, I expect to see some of you on Sunday. And have a wonderful Saturday. Uh, and if you're in West Hollywood and want to swing by Plummer Park today, we have a table at the, um, at the powwow celebrating our Native American brothers and sisters. You want to come say hi, get a little love and support. And I will talk to you all very soon. Bye. Thanks, Jesse. Bye. 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 Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye.